Cross Point Church uh, in Peachtree City. My name is Jonathan Schroeder. It's a privilege to be here. Uh, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, my wife and my children have joined me this morning. My wife is Jill Schroeder, and our kids are 10 years old, Judah, and Jessa is six years old. And uh, I know Jamie and Cross Point Church uh, through the Acts 29 network. We actually planted our church, uh, me and a couple other guys. Uh, in uh, about 13 years ago uh, in Albany, Georgia, and then we became a part of the Acts 29 network in 2013. So Tim has been a part, he's our lead pastor, he's been a part of the cohort for a long time, built some relationships, brotherhood, sisterhood, uh, through the Acts 29 network, which is where we uh, know Jamie. Actually, Jamie's sister has also attended uh, Albany uh, for a couple of years, so I uh, got a chance to get to know him. And uh, There's a few things I know about Jamie. I don't, I don't spend a lot of time with him, but I know he loves Jesus. I know he loves the church as a whole. I know he loves Cross Point Church, um, and I know that uh, he is uh, taking some time right now with his family, and I'm very thankful for that. In fact, uh, me and my family have just come, come back from a three-month sabbatical. Uh, so again, we planted 13 years ago, and so uh, this was our first extensive time away, and so we did that at the beginning of May. And uh, we learned two things, and we felt like God was kind of leading us in two different directions. One would be a kind of a sense of rest, of pace. Um, and so we've been uh, really practicing that, uh, even as we've come back the last two months. We've been practicing rhythms of rest with our family, things like silence and solitude, Sabbath, uh, just trying to pursue this understanding that we just want to be in the pace of Jesus. Wherever Jesus is going, however Jesus wants to get there, and the time that he wants to get there, I need to surrender to that. And I'm still learning that. There's still a lot of, uh, of that in me. I want to keep going and going and going. But Jesus has been super gracious to us to give us that time period. Um, and so we're going to continue this journey for a really long time, hopefully till Jesus returns. But the second piece of that, of that as well is that God has called us to, to be a part of another church plant. So we are preparing to plant another church in a local area. Um, and so we're just really thankful that God has given us these rhythms of rest, knowing that something else is to come uh, that's going to require a lot of time and energy, but really prayer, fasting, all of the things that we do as the church. And so I'm just very thankful to be here with you guys uh, this morning. Uh, I hope that the Lord um, blesses you through this particular message. This is something that's been stirring in my heart for eight to ten years. Um, and so this is something that, again, a long journey for me. Um, but I hope that, um, that this is a blessing to you as well. Um, I am going to give you basically one point, and I'll go ahead and give that to you now. And what we call it in kind of the, uh, um, in church terms is spiritual formations, but I just want to give it to you in real terms. And the, 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 the title of this message is, You Become What You Behold. That's what we're going to be talking about today. This idea that you become what you behold. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 18. Then we're going to go through chapter 4 a little bit. Um, so if you guys wouldn't mind, uh, this is what we do in our uh, particular congregation. Uh, we're just going to stand for the reading of the word. We're just going to read one verse, and then I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll kind of start uh, into this together. So if you are able, and if you feel so led, uh, we're just going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And Paul is writing and he says, And we who with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into his likeness. Uh, in this version it says, With ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You may be seated. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you've given it to us, that you have allowed it uh, to be uh, present with us. Lord, a lot of times we ask 
that we, you would just speak to us and we have your word. It is yours given to us so that we may grow, so that we may know um, who it is that we worship. I love you and I thank you. I pray that you would transform us ever more, even this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to talk about a few things. I want to talk about a need that we have, I believe, in our society and the remedy of that particular need, which will be the gospel, just a heads up. Uh, it's going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we're going to, I'm going to try to equip you with some things that have helped me in this spiritual formation, in this idea of becoming what I behold. And then we're also going to give some encouragement uh, as, as we lead out. So Uh, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. If you know anything about the church in Corinth, he's already written one letter, at least one, uh, to the Corinthians. And the the, the Corinthian church is dealing with several things at this time when he's writing. One, there's internal conflict. Um, So again, the previous letter, he's talked about things about immorality that's taking place within the church body. There are people that are taking each other to court. Um, there uh, There are people that are Uh, just living lives. Uh, People are even getting drunk during communion time. They're not waiting for everyone else to show up. So they're just drinking all the wine. And uh, so they're getting drunk. So, right. So this is a very difficult church. They're having a lot of internal conflict. So Paul is writing to them. He's, he's, he's helping them, encouraging them. But there's also some external conflict. Corinth is a big city. A lot of things happening, people coming in and out. Uh, a lot of people are coming with their own wisdoms, their thoughts about what the world is, and they're bringing into the city, and the church is trying to, have to, re- trying to reject that. They're repenting of their own ideas, but they're also being infiltrated by external conflict. And then, not only that, there's also leadership conflict. In fact, part of this particular letter, Paul is writing them uh, in a sense where people, uh, other leaders, other church leaders or Jewish uh, people are coming in trying to take away his, his work or trying to diminish his authority, diminish his leadership. So he has internal conflict, external conflict, and he also has leadership conflict. Uh, so he's writing the church in response to some of these things. And I just can't help to think about us as a people, as a church, uh, in, the, in the United States, so there are some things that are going on in, in Albany, Georgia. There's some internal conflict that goes on within our own churches. Like there's, there's things that need to be reconciled, things that need to be addressed as a church body. We also live uh, in a country that is continuing pro- progressively trying to find their own kingdoms and serving themselves. And, and I do this as well. And so, I mean, we, we have some external conflict going on within the church body, but then we also have leadership conflict, right? We're trying to figure out what, what pastor should we listen to about masks or no masks or vaccinations or no vaccinations or racial tensions, all of these things. We're like, who should we be listening to? We should be listening to this guy or that guy. And we're all coming with these different ideas and different thoughts. And so this is not something that's uncommon to us. Paul is writing uh, to the church in Corinth, but it also has a huge impact on our lives. And so I know that there is a need for us There is a need for us to engage in this culture. So I want to share with you guys a little story that I think that's helpful. Um, So I I read a book recently uh, about joy. And one of the things about joy is it talks about uh, the idea of your face um, and how your your face interacts with others. Um, And so I started this journey, and uh, I was even talking about it with the kids this morning, is that when we have conflict as a family, sometimes... Uh, whether it's them, they're in trouble, or there's something that we have to discuss, is I'll kind of get down on their level and I'll, I'll look at them and I'll say, what, what does my face look like right now? And more than likely, because there's conflict or tension, they say it's like, they, they use a negative 
emotion. They say, look, you look angry or you look upset. And so I'm like, okay, well, I got to fix that. So I tell them to close their eyes. And during that time, I literally try to fix my face. I'm like, okay, calm down, think through, right? And I try to put a smile on my face. And I tell them, I say, I love you. And then I say, now open your eyes. And when they open their eyes, I says, what does my face look like now? And if it's a positive expression, then I continue on with my conversation with them. But if it's negative, I have to start over. Okay, close your eyes. Fix my face. And then I, ask them to, I tell them I love you because I'm trying to connect I love you to the face that they're about to experience, right? And so we recognize um, that there is a need for us Uh, for me and my family, that my family knows that I love them before I'm about to say anything else, that you're a part of this family, that, that my, my concern for you, my care for you, um, is with my presence. And my presence is trying to be one that says, I'm happy to be with you right now. Even if there's going to be conflict, even if there's something that we have to deal with, I'm happy to be with you right now. And I believe that this is some of the expression that Paul is asking for, for the church in response in this particular passage. Again, we read verse 18, we with, all, with unveiled face reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So there is a need that Paul is giving here that says our faces need to be shining bright with the glory of God. You know what our country needs right now? Christians who are shining bright with the glory of God. Now, I think we think about that intellectually. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, glory of God. That sounds great, right? But it should be so impactful to us that it actually exudes from us, that our faces, the way that we're interacting with one another, the way our presence is with one another, is actually reflecting the glory of God. And so... As we see Paul talking about this here, it seems as if there is a huge need for us as the church to reflect the glory of God, that our faces need to be unveiled and needs to reflect this ever-increasing glory. Now, again, let me go a little bit more with context. There is an ever-increasing glory as we, as we behold the glory of God um, that was not given in the Old Testament. So, um, he's actually talking about here in verse uh, chapter three, he's, he's kind of comparing it to Moses in the Old Testament. When Moses would come down, he would have the law and he would read the law and his face would actually be shining bright. But right after he would read the law, he would actually veil his face and then he would go away. So people couldn't see the glory that was shining from his face because what the scripture actually is teaching is, is that once he would do that, he would veil his face, that they actually the, the glory from reading the word, from expressing the glory of God, from being in his presence, actually began to fade. So they didn't get to see that fade. They just, they just thought it was always shining, right? But Paul is saying here is that it did fade, but there is a glory that surpasses the law, that surpasses this old covenant that was given to mankind, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, so the gospel is a surpassing glory that's been given that is ever increasing. Where the Old Testament, where the law faded, this one is ever increasing. Where the Old Testament showed us death and our need for salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ actually gives us this healing, this restoring power. So it is not that the Old Testament and the, the, the law is not glorious. There's just a surpassing glory, Right? There is something that is so surpassing that it should change us from the inside out and we don't have to veil our face like Moses. We don't have to talk about Jesus on Sunday and then veil our face throughout the week. 
We don't have to do that anymore. We can actually look and behold the glory of God on Sunday together as a community and then throughout the week, we can leave our faces unveiled and it should shine the glory of the Lord ever increasingly. But there's a need here for us. What is the remedy? How do we behold the glory of the Lord? So I'm gonna read through uh, chapter four, verses one uh, through six. It says this, therefore, Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what is, what are we supposed to behold? When we say beholding the glory of God, what does that specifically mean? Paul says that the glory of God that we're supposed to be beholding is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in that, he actually gives us very, something very specific. So I've always heard that the gospel is like a diamond that, you know, as you kind of t- turn it and you look at it at different lights, you see this just beauty that just continues to, 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 uh, to show itself, right? It's not just one part. It's several parts put together. And I want us to focus on this part of the gospel. He says here that the, no- the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. The face of Jesus Christ. So I want you guys to do a favor for me, if you don't mind. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to uh, just try to take a few deep breaths. Just kind of breathe in and out. Try, to, try not to focus on anything else. Just, just breathe in and out for a few seconds. And then I want you guys to consider, if you were to see the face of Jesus Christ right now, what expression do you think he has on his face when he thinks about you? What's the expression? What's the first word that comes to your mind when you think about the fact that Jesus is looking at you? What is the expression that's on his face? Okay, you can, you can look now. I was asked that question about a year ago, and the first thing that came to my mind was disappointed. This is a Jesus who has loved me, who has died for me, who has resurrected, and I give him so little. Like, that's all I could think about. I'm a person that wants to to see change happen. I want to be that person who, who wants to work hard for everything. And so when I think about my relationship with Jesus, the first thing that came to my mind was, man, that's a look of disappointment on his face. And I've had a struggle with this for a while. And because of that, it has made me consider, in this, even during the sabbatical, what is truly on Jesus' face? What is the expression on Jesus' face? And for me, I have learned that uh, I considered the passage in Matthew 25. If you guys remember the parable, Jesus was giving talents away. He was given 10, then he gave five, then he gave one, right? And 
what I've realized throughout this time, I was in a DNA group or a smaller men's group and we were kind of going through the gospel fluency and we were asking the, the four question, who is God, what has he done, who does that make me, what do I do in light of that? And I realized that this passage had to do a lot with me, that I, I considered myself, when I looked at Jesus, when he's coming back, I thought about that, that person with one talent that was like, I had to hide it. Because the response to that was, I thought you were a shrewd man. Or in another term, I thought you were a hard man. So when I thought about Jesus, I thought, man, he's hard. He, always, he gets what he wants. I want to make sure that I don't mess this up. Does anybody don't want to mess up this life, right? I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to mess up this Christianity. I don't know what this looks like. And so I began to realize that, that that's not who Jesus is. And during this sabbatical, it's been a huge impact in my life. Not that I thought everything that Jesus had given me, but I just realized if, I, I, thought my, I thought of myself as, I'm the guy with five talents that has invested three, but still hid two, just in case. Right? I got three out there, I'm investing, but I'm gonna keep these two just in case because I don't wanna mess this up. And Jesus has shown me that actually his face is a face of love and a face of care. And I know this because Jesus died to give that face to me. See, it's, it's not because I'm a good person. It's not because I have everything together, and it's not because I'm recognizing all of these things. The reason why Jesus can look upon me in this way is because he has imputed his righteousness into me. Right, the, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus says, I have taken off your sins. I have, I have uh, taken them and absorbed them myself. Not only the sins that you've committed, but also the sins that have been committed against you. Right, the things that I feel shameful about, the things that I have to struggle with that other people don't know about, he took those too. He took that sin that was against me. And he, he has imputed his righteousness into me. And now because I am standing before him righteous, as 2 Corinthians continues to tell us in chapter 5, verse 21, right, that he who, made no, who committed no sin, made no sin, became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so now Jesus looks upon me and his expression is one of happiness to be with me. He's actually happy to be with me. Now, again, I want to share this. This is from a book that has been helpful to me. It's called The Other Side of Church. But he says this. He says, and again, this is what I love is because this is not something that science or, or, or the world has figured out. This is something that we were created to do. And science is kind of catching up with that and saying, wow, that's, this is great, right? But it says this. It says that our brain looks specifically to the face of another person to find joy. And it fills up our emotional gas tanks. He says in this book that the key of joy is in the face. Joy is primarily transmitted through the face, especially the eyes. Now, you guys have relationships with other people. And think about those relationships. The ones that bring you most joy more than likely are the ones that when you see them and they see you, your face just lights up. Because you know they're just happy to be with you. You don't have to prove anything to them. You don't have to make anything right. You're gonna go through the thick and thin and they look at you and they say, I'm glad that you're here. And guess what that does to your face? It lights your face up too. This is the idea that joy is transmitted through our face, that we actually enjoy one another when we can look at each other in the face. And I think that that's given to us, not again because it's scientific, but because God actually created us to do that. 
And this is what I love about that verse, is that he has given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So no longer am I just looking at Jesus' hands and looking at his feet and looking at the word and saying, okay, you know, I just want to try to, I want to seek the face of God. Not because I deserve to be there, but because he has made a way for me through the life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We know that. So again, the idea is to become what we behold. This is the idea of spiritual formation. So I also know that this is the gospel is the way that we're transformed, not just because of this verse, but because of others. Titus 2 uh, verse 11 tells us that it's the, the grace of God that, that helps us to train us for righteousness, right? The gospel actually trains us for righteousness. Knowing the good news of Jesus trains us for righteousness. We also see in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 10, uh, Peter is giving this understanding of the character and the, the, the idea of a person and their posture. And he gets all the way to it and he says, if we forget the character traits of what we should be, he says that those people have, have been nearsighted and have forgotten that they, their blood has been, I mean, their sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, so Peter is saying, if we start to lack in these qualities, it's because we forgot the gospel. And then Romans 2 says, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. These are, again, understanding how do we actually change? We change by beholding the glory of God. Where is the glory of God shown most bright? In the gospel of Jesus. And we can do that by looking at the, at the face of Jesus. So I want to share with you guys something that has been helpful. This is a part of the equipping that I've mentioned to you before about spiritual transformation, something that we do together. Um, and this is a little chart. It's a little image that's super, super helpful. So for us, um, and if we have that right here, so this is what we call unintentional spiritual formation. I want you guys to know something that spiritual formation is not a Christian thing and it's not just a religious thing. It is a human thing. Everybody is being spiritually formed into something or someone. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that we were created in his image to worship him. Now we're broken beings and we wanna worship something else, but we weren't created just to worship, we were created actually worshiping. So you're not turning this thing off. Your worship is happening constantly. Whatever it is, whatever you're trying to find joy, satisfaction, justification in, you're worshiping that thing. You can't shut this thing off. So if we're just unintentional with our spiritual formation, if you just wake up tomorrow and you're just like, I'm just here, I'm gonna kind of do my thing, this is actually how you are being spiritually formed. So the top one is that we are being spiritually formed by the stories that we believe. Now it's very important that we understand it doesn't mean that the stories are true. It's just the stories that you believe. So I don't know the, the, the news articles you're reading. I don't know if the Facebook posts that you're reading. I don't know if the, the, you know, the, the articles, uh, news, where, wherever you're getting your information from, the stories that you believe actually shape and form you. I think we know that, right? Normally, if, I'm, if I know that somebody's been watching Fox News for eight hours, I know what their talking points already are because they're being formed by the stories that they believe or whatever it may be, whatever it is that you're the stories that you believe. Some of us have past stories that are so harmful and hurtful to us that it actually continues the way that we build our identity. I know people that have been really hurt in the past when they were six, 10, 12 years old, and they're business owners today that still struggle with that six-year-old thing that happened to them. 
It's the stories that they believe that they, they don't know how to heal and they don't know where to grow from here, but it's forming them. It's forming every decision that they're making in some way, shape, form, or fashion. There's also the habits that we uh, engage in. And this high control here are things that actually you can come be a part of. So I can, I can look at Facebook or I don't have to. I can look at Facebook or I can look at, whoop, that right there. Or, you know, I can look at the word of God. I can control that, right? Um, so our habits are things that we can control. I didn't go to the gym for a really, really long time. Um, and during the sabbatical, I did not want to hurt myself, but I wanted to do some strength training. And so I got a professional person to train me. So I, I'm, again, I'm going to hurt myself because I want to go really, really hard and, and make sure that's right. And so I got someone to train me and uh, well, I started going three days a week. And every time I miss that, I think about it. I'm like, man, I missed that. But I hadn't gone in years. But a habit was formed over a long period of time, and now it's actually helping me and shaping me. And it's not just, again, it's not just a physical transformation. This is a spiritual thing, too. It helps me deal and with stress and things like that. God's using it uh, to work in me. But habits that we are part of, that we engage in, and then the relationships that we are in. So um, when, before I met my wife, Jill, uh, we moved around a lot. Uh, I was born in Germany. Uh, my family was in the military, and so, but we're up north. And so when it came to sports and things, I, coming down to the south, it's a big deal down here. Didn't know that. Um, so, but not only that, but if I was going to watch sports, I was probably going to watch professional football uh, because that's kind of the north. That's kind of what we did. You know, Sunday nights were our thing. And then I realized that nobody watches Sunday night sports. Everybody watches Saturday sports. I'm like, what's going on here? What's wrong with this culture? And, uh, but now... Now, my wife uh, was a graduate from Georgia. Their family is Georgia fans. And so I'm a Georgia fan because of the relationship that I have, right? It, it's shaping me. It's forming me. I love watching Georgia football, but uh, 13 years ago, I could care less about it. So this is how it happens. And then at, at the bottom here, it says over time, there's a low control there through experience. So this is happening over a long period of time. This doesn't, just because you start one habit doesn't mean that it's gonna, you gotta keep going. And then in the middle is the environments, the low control, the things that we can't. So it's kind of like your family of origin, right? Um, it's, it's the environments you're placed in, uh, the home that you grew up in, those things you can't control, but they actually spiritually form you. So if this is, if this is true, if these, if these things, elements actually form us, and Paul is telling us here and scripture is telling us here to behold the glory of the Lord, we should be taking all of this and trying to figure out how to posture ourselves to behold the glory of the Lord. Why? Because we need to see the face of Jesus so that we can be transformed from the inside out so that this world that is broken, that's looking for all of these things in the wrong places, that our faces are actually shining bright with the glory of God. I can't tell you, this is just a really difficult time, I think, for everyone. But man, I want to see believers shining bright with the glory of God on their face. It's tough out there, right? But I believe that we have everything that we need for life and godliness, right? In the knowledge of who Jesus is. And so for this world that's dealing with these internal, external leadership struggles, we should be coming and saying, here it is. It's the glory of God that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do we posture ourselves in such a, in such a situation 
so that we can make sure that we're beholding the glory of God. So this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna become intentional with our spiritual formation. We're gonna behold the glory of God through, this, through these things. So first, we're gonna start replacing the stories that we believe with the teachings of Jesus, right? This is Matthew 28, right? Go ye therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you. Right? Jesus has all authority. He's given all the authority to the, the Father, has given it to the Son. We have the Holy Spirit that's in us now. And so we are focusing, we are putting our attention, we are beholding the teachings of Jesus, which is found in the Word of God. When people are telling you, when leaders are telling you, when your family's telling you, hey, read the Word of God, what they're trying to t- tell you is, behold the glory of God. Behold the glory of God. And it's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we need to begin to posture ourselves, right? I don't, I don't mind reading news articles, but they can't shape and form me. What shapes and forms me is the teachings of Jesus. That's what shapes me and forms me. Like I, I tell my, my, my group all the time, if we're talking, I'll say something like, listen, we need to go to the word of God. Like if we, if we have a struggle or situation, like I don't wanna hear Dr. Phil. Like I, I wanna hear the word of God. Like, tell me what God is saying about this situation. And if we don't know, then we're gonna spend our lives in this journey of figuring it out together. Because again, we have everything we need for life and godliness. He will reveal it to us. I know we live in a microwave culture. We're like, I gotta get it now. Gotta have it now. If, if I can't find it in the word of God, then I'll go find it somewhere else. But man, we need to stay right here. Why? Because it's, a, it's over time. So we're doing that. So we're going through the teachings of Jesus. And again, we have high control over that. That we go from just habits to practices. So these are the practices that we all kind of know. And then there are some additional ones uh, that we don't talk about much as the church. But it's things like uh, reading the word of God, prayer, fasting, right? We're times of silence and solitude, Sabbath, simple living. These are the things, these are the practices that we need to put in place. Why? So that we can behold the glory of the Lord, that's something that I've been working on, this idea of silence and solitude. I'll, I'll get to a place. For me, I have to put on like headphones because I can get really distracted. So I put on headphones, cut out the lights, and I just try to sit. Again, I'm a doer. I'm a thinker. And so I've got to struggle through that where I'm thinking through and I'm like, no, I don't, I don't need to be thinking about that. I don't need to be thinking about that. No, no, no. No, I just want to be in the presence of the Lord. And I think about this with my kids. Like I can't tell y'all so how much it is so Jill and I, we might, you know, we try to wake up in the morning early enough where we kind of get our Bible time in because when kids wake up, chaos, right? It's great. But my little girl will come through the kitchen and she'll come and sit on our lap. And here's the thing is, we kind of gave her a morning routine. Like when you wake up, we want you to make your bed, we want you to get dressed, we want you to brush your teeth, help out with the dishes. And then like we kind of start our day. But she just sometimes will just come and just sit in my lap. And there's things to be done, but man, I can't tell you She just wants to be in my presence. And I really feel like God does all of those things too, where it's like, yes, there are things to do, but just come sit with me for a little bit. And I know that's kind of like, why? why? He didn't die just to put us to work. He died so that he could walk with us, so that we can be with him, that he actually enjoys our presence. And so just like a father, if... I know my heavenly father is way better than I am at being a father. And if I find joy in my child just coming and just sitting with me and saying nothing, I believe that that is too. But it's also a sense of resistance against the world that says I should be doing something. 
there's a silent rebellion in my heart to say, I'm not gonna listen to the world. I'm just gonna sit with my heavenly father. That's what I wanna do. And I believe that honors the Lord. And it's about practicing the presence of the Lord. Why? Because I wanna behold him. I wanna enjoy him so that my face, that the interactions that I have will be uh, shining face, uh, shining bright with the glory, which is ever increasing. So uh, practices, then we go to community. So this is our gospel-centered community. Why is church so important? Because it's a part of us beholding the glory of God. You showing up each week and being together and fighting for one another is a part in which I can see the glory of God in your face, right? Because I'm gonna deal with stuff. I got stuff, I, I bring my group all the time. But I'm looking for that other person who's just been in the word. They just know they have that, like, it's their week, bro. They are ready to go. And they're just like, they're not coming down on me. They're not judging me, but they're helping me behold the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So we're exposing one another in life on life, right? Because I'm a sinful person and sometimes I can't see it. And so community allows us to make sure that we're following Christ in every area of our lives. And I don't like it. It's super messy, but that's what community is for, for us to behold the glory of God. And again, all of these things are we, things that we can control, you can control whether you're going to go to community groups or not. Um, and there's a season in which, when, you know, when we have a baby, two or three weeks, like, we're just, we're just trying to make it. You know what I mean? Uh, but we have a great community that comes alongside of us. Hey, what do you need? You know, food and prayer and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then we have the Holy Spirit, which is low control. We can't control the Spirit. Spirit moves how he wants to move. Um, I can't conjure him up. But the Holy Spirit is actually moving in us. He's illuminating these truths. He is the power that's behind all of that, illuminating the gospel for us. We know that. John uh, 16, Jesus says about the Holy Spirit that he will lead us into all truth, that he will exalt Jesus. So that's the Holy Spirit's job is to exalt the name of Jesus. So when you get really, really excited about the gospel, it's the Holy Spirit who's getting excited about the gospel and letting you know that it's true and letting that settle and permeate. So we wanna behold the glory of God intentionally, and I believe that this is, God's given us this framework uh, over time, again, through hard knocks of life. So this is a life of suffering. It's a, a life of suffering, but it's also a life of what we would hope to be is an ever-increasing joy. Now, I'm gonna read the rest of the passage that, uh, that we have here, because I know when I get to the place of, all right, well, how do I do this? What, what do I do now? Right, we're asking the question, what do I do now? For me, I know what scripture tells us to do. It's always the same. Whether good or things, whether I'm sinful or whether I'm not, it's always coming together, repent and believe. That's it. Repent and believe. Turn and follow Jesus to see that he is better. I was uh, speaking with some people at breakfast this morning at the hotel that we were part of. And I was talking about this idea that, you know, God is, is calling us to, to, to trust him, to, to be more faithful to him over a long period of time. He's going to show things in my life over the next few years that I just don't even know about yet, right? He's not going to give me a list of 100 things that he's like, all right, start working on them now. He's going to say, let's do this one, and let's do this one, and let's do this one, because he's loving and kind. And that's what I would do with my kids uh, and I believe that's what he does with us. But we're also talking about, oh, how do we repent? How do we believe? And what does that actually look like for us? For me, when I think about repentance, it means just getting back to the basics of just being with Jesus. 
Like when was the last time that we just actually sat in silence just to be with Jesus? Not to ask him anything and not to be told anything to do, but just to be with him, right? So this is something that is not just something that we struggle with. It's something that we see Paul struggling with. So let's continue to go through chapter four, verse seven. Watch this. He says, but we have this treasure. What treasure is he talking about? He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, shining the face of Christ. This idea that we have this ministry that's given to us to share this glory of God with others. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that, all, that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So this isn't about us getting it right. It's about God doing something in us so that we can point to the glory of God. We want other people to see the glory of God on our face, and it's ever increasing. Verse eight, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. I, I can't tell you, as, even as I'm reading this right now, I think, man, I wanna be around that guy. I wanna be around that woman who can say this, that look, <laughs> on every side, I'm pressed on every side, but I'm not crushed. Gosh, who wants to be around that person, right? Do you think the world needs to see that person? I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I am struck down, but I am not destroyed. And he says this, we always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might also be revealed in our bodies, so he is, he is sacrificial. He is giving of himself. This is not easy for him. He's not saying, man, my life is great. Let me show you that. He's saying, through this difficulty, through this suffering, I want to show you the life of Jesus. Verse 11, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. Verse 12, so then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And I just think about Paul. He's beholding the glory of God through the face of Jesus Christ. He sees all of this internal, external, and leadership conflict. And he's saying, I know what it feels like, but I have hope. And I know that the world needs this. The world doesn't need us like manifesting this hope. We need to be beholding the glory of God so much so that our faces actually reflect the glory of God. And that's what I want in all of us. That's what I feel like I desire to see in my kids, that my kids will look at me and know that I love them, that I'm happy to be with them. We're gonna deal with stuff. We got stuff we gotta deal with. They've gotta mature, they have to grow, but I'm with them and I'm for them. And I'm not just gonna tell them to do it on their own. I'm gonna be with them. I'm gonna be engaging them. And I believe that that's one of the reasons why we have been given the Holy Spirit, that we have Jesus Christ who is with us is because God is ever increasing our joy by looking at his face that allows our face to shine with the glory of God. And so, as my wife would say sometimes, John, you need to fix your face. You can fix your face. I, thank you, baby. I don't like it when I hear it, but this idea of like, man, we have an opportunity to fix our face. Fix our face on what? Hebrews 12 tells us what to fix our face on. Fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Where should our eyes be fixed? On Jesus? Where was Jesus' eyes fixed on? Right? 
the glory that was become before that by the death that he was about to suffer. He's not saying this life is easy. He's not saying, hey, listen, if we just get all this Christian stuff right, our lives are just going to get way much easier. He's saying that we have something that the world doesn't. And the less we behold of him, the more we're beholding something else. And I'm telling you, we can't stop this spiritual formation. We can't help but worship. So if I'm not beholding Jesus, I'm beholding something else, and something else is telling me how to live, how to speak, how to move, and I believe that it shows on my face. And I hope that my children would act like their father as I'm preparing them and encouraging them to have relationships with one another. And I believe that that's what God wants us to do as well. The way that he interacts with us is the way we should interact with others. Thank you.